DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Father Joseph Fezia, who is a Roman Catholic priest of the Jesuit order and the founder and editor of Ignatius Press. With Father Joseph Fezio, we go inside the pages of Married Priests, 30 Crucial Questions About Celibacy, edited by Arturo Catania and published by Ignatius Press. Father Fezio, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here, Chris. Married Priests, 30 Crucial Questions About Celibacy. Once again, Ignatius Press offers something that is not only beneficial to priests and those who are considering the call to religious life, but it's also very important for us in the universal church to understand this idea of celibacy, isn't it? Absolutely, especially, uh, I was just thinking, we've had some feasts of virgin martyrs uh, recently in the liturgical calendar, mm-hmm. and you think about the fact that they were martyrs because they were virgins, many of them. That is, they refused to give up their chastity to someone who was trying to force them. And uh, that was infuriated people, and they put them to death. Well, we live in a society now where chastity and celibacy are not respected, and in fact, where the church is being marginalized, and it's kind of a soft persecution. But this issue keeps coming up again and again. Why can't priests marry, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, so it's something that not just priests ought to be formed in when they go to the seminary, but also every serious Catholic ought to know what the reasons are. And they're not just uh, the imposition of a male patriarchy trying to preserve its power, but there are deep theological, psychological pastoral reasons for this. The subtitle to the book is really apropos. They are 30 crucial questions. They're the questions that come up in the hearts and mind of just about everyone who explores this topic. Right, and, and Chris, what, what is not clear from the subtitle there is that, yes, there are 30 questions, but they're, they're organized in a very special way. There are questions that have to do with the history of celibacy. And, you know, mm-hmm. people ask, well, like, here's question... Three, is it true that priestly celibacy did not develop until the Middle Ages? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you hear that all the time. Oh, this is a late addition to the church, you know. Uh, then there's, question, there's a whole section on the theology questions. Number nine, celibacy is not a dogma, but only a disciplinary norm. Why does the church still have such great importance to it? You know, it's, it's not, a, not doctrine, it's only practice, so can't we change it? Mm-hmm. Then there's a whole section on psychology and the emotions. Question 12, is not celibacy unnatural, and therefore the cause of existential stress among priests. Then there's a very positive section on discerning and fostering a vocation about celibacy, another on celibacy in the life of the priest, and then, uh, which is not, again, contained in the subtitle, but this book has a series of appendices, or a series of documents in its appendix, which include recent papal teachings of the last century on celibacy, and documents of early Christianity in the Middle Ages and the Council of Trent. So you really have kind of a, a small, readable compendium here of what the Church actually does hold. It is a discipline of the Church. Is it something that can change over time, Father Fezio? Well, uh, can in some sense, but can't in another sense. Let's see if I can explain that. Oh, actually, Chris... 
uh, that's what the book is for, to answer these things very thoroughly and carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I might add that it's not just one author. There are several authors around the world who contribute each in his own special field to answer these questions. But, uh, you know, we, I'm, I'm afraid I have to give kind of a long answer, Chris. That's fine, uh, Father. We, not just we Americans, but, I mean, West in general, is still under the shadow of René Descartes, uh, mm-hmm. the French philosopher in the early 1600s, who uh, tried to uh, determine truth through clear and distinct ideas. Everything had to be clear and distinct. But, Chris, I'm in San Francisco right now, and we I can actually see from here the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. And if I tell you that there's a difference between San Francisco Bay and the Pacific Ocean, you'll agree to that. But if you ask me, well, Father, where exactly is the dividing line? At what point does the Pacific Ocean cease to be Pacific Ocean and become to be uh, San Francisco Bay? Well, there is no such point. There is no such clear and distinct idea because the reality is not clear and distinct. Mm-hmm. So, likewise, this distinction w- between doctrine and discipline in some areas is a false distinction in the sense that it gives an idea that things are too clear-cut. So here's, what, here, here's how this relates to our question. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, canonically, church law requires priest to be celibate. Uh, there are some exceptions we can talk about, but what's the basis for that? There was no canon law for a long, long time, that's for sure, but Jesus himself chose not to be married, not to have a family. Why? Because he was the bridegroom for the whole church, his bride, mm-hmm. and that was his commitment, his total commitment of himself, his, 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 his body, his blood, his soul, his divinity, his whole being, his person, was given to his bride Mary and his bride the whole Church of Christ. And priests are called to be altar Christus, the other, another Christ, an extension of Christ. When we celebrate Mass, we don't say this is my body as me personally, but this is my body, Jesus Christ's body. So the whole point of the priesthood is to be assimilated to, expropriated, so to speak, for Jesus the High Priest. And we have celibacy as a discipline because that was what Christ did, but not just as a personal discipline on himself, but as a theologically profound way of expressing his relationship to everybody. So, it's yes, it's a discipline, but it's not just a discipline. It's rooted in the very nature and mission of Christ. And that, that's why you say, well, can it change? Uh, well... Hmm. Maybe theoretically, in some Cartesian sense, it could change, mm-hmm. and there are some exceptions. We have we know in the Eastern Church uh, that priests, but not bishops, are allowed to marry. Uh, we also know that in the Latin West, priests were allowed to marry. But we don't know. Most people don't know, is that when a married man became a priest in the early Church, going back to the earliest time we got records for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his wife had to agree to live as brother and sister. It was called continence. And so while celibacy, which means not being married, uh, gradually came into force in the church, continence goes all the way back to the apostles. There's another book by Ignatius Press called The Apostolic Origins of Priestly Celibacy by Father Cuccini, which documents that all the way back to the 
gravestones and you know scrolls and inscriptions and and church documents and so on all the way back to the earliest periods. From what you've just described, Father Fezio, it sounds as though it requires a particular calling to a really unique union. I mean, that union of the the one who is called to the priesthood to to join in with Christ in that that relationship. And and in the Gospels, Jesus tells the apostles he was left his family, wife and children, father and mother, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, will receive a hundredfold. Well, that call that Jesus issued was a call, first of all, to be with him, and then to be sent forth to speak in his name and act in his name as a mission. And you're absolutely right. The priestly vocation is primarily, before it's a call to priesthood, it's a call to a closer following of Christ in a specific way. Many people have to follow Christ, too. But mm-hmm. the priest is called to follow Christ, specifically in Christ's role as priest and bridegroom of the church. Well, Father Fezio, I, I had the a tremendous blessing of seeing how that call is discerned and the, the beginnings of living that out when I was able to, to visit Casa Balthazar in Rome back in October of 2012 and to see young men from around the world coming to discern just that, if indeed they are called to that special relationship. Well, Chris, I've been associated with that since the beginning in 1989, and uh, Father Survey, you must have met as a rector there. It's a wonderful house of formation and discernment, mm-hmm. but one of Father Survey's major emphases when young men come to discern is that your first discernment is are you called to a closer following of Christ, a consecration of your life to Christ? Within that discernment, you can then decide whether you're called to the priesthood or a secular institute, for example, or or the brotherhood. As the, that process of discernment in particular and learning how to, that you're not just going to a job, but you're going into that particular union not only with Christ but then with his spouse the church that is that's one that really do we have a sense of that now I mean there there seemed to have been a crisis in that process for a number of years am I mistaken Father Fezio no there has been a crisis and it's been a I mean all the controversial issues or at least almost all the controversial issues in the modern world in the church have to do with gender and sex Married priesthood, contraception, abortion, homosexuality. Those are, uh, you know, the key issues. And it all stems from, uh, again, a Cartesianism which doesn't recognize in man and woman uh, two specific ways of being human that are complementary and distinct. Uh, they have an equality and dignity but not a uniformity in role or in characteristics. Well, we don't, especially have in San Francisco, you know. Mm -hmm. I know when when you read the book of Jonah, and God felt sorry for the people of Nineveh because he couldn't tell the left from the right. Well, you can confuse that sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we can't tell a man from a girl. I mean, here in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. you, you know, you treat them like they're the same. So in one sense, we're worse off than Nineveh, and we need a Jonah here. 
although I think I know Archbishop may be a good Jonah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a crisis, but the crisis, just like what this Pope does, Benedict Sixteenth, whenever he treats a question, he always goes down deep underneath to the roots. And this isn't a social issue, it's not a social justice issue, it's not a discrimination issue, it's an issue of the very nature of the human person, uh, as male and female in God's image. And that's pretty much... Uh, uh, un, people are unaware of that in our time, and therefore they don't understand that a man has a specific role and a woman has a specific role, and that shows itself also in the roles they have in the church. You know, Father Fezio, there will be those people who will say to you that celibacy is so contrary to nature, and they would also say it could be harmful for man. Sure, and that question is responded to in this book. But then you got to say, well, gosh, it really ruined Jesus, didn't it? Because he was a celibate. And, of course, John Paul II and Benedict, I mean, you can tell they're just kind mm-hmm. of really shrunken men because they're, they're, they're these poor celibates. And Mother Teresa didn't get married either, and we know that she didn't have much influence on people, and they thought he was kind of a cheerless person, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. all you have to do is look at, at the ones who live and love their celibacy, the saints of old and the saints of our time, and that argument goes nowhere. Mm. What... Would you say to that parent out there who is listening, who is really struggling with a son who is being called to the priesthood, but they they are concerned because celibacy is something that will deny them their heritage as um, as parents? That's perfect. I mean, that's that. If if I would say, if your son is having that problem. Thank God, because if he wasn't in that problem, there'd be something wrong with him, and he wouldn't be a good candidate for a priest. You can't be a good candidate for the priesthood unless you're a good candidate for fatherhood and being a, being a, being a husband. I mean, mm-hmm. priests are not failed husbands. you know. And, and the good priests that I know would have been wonderful fathers of the family and made great sacrifices. But Jesus is, is, is right, and we have to trust what he said. He who gives up this wonderful having progeny, having an inherent, you know, having people come after him. For my sake and the gospel, receive honorful. And talk to good priests you know. They'll all tell you the same thing. I mean, they're part of so many families. I mean, they're they're closely involved with people on most deepest, profound levels of of the spirit or the mind. I mean, priests hear things from people which people will say to no one else, not even their husband or their wife. So... There's a tremendous sense of fatherhood, spiritual fatherhood, which only a priest can experience. And, of course, it looks like a big sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice. The highest natural good, in my view, Mm -hmm. the highest natural good on the face of the earth is the faithful and fruitful love between a man and a woman for life. That's, That's the apex when it's lived as it should be. And a priest gives that up for something higher, a supernatural union. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Father Fezio, that we have struggled with this particular issue of celibacy with the priesthood? Because we, as lay people, don't even have an appreciation anymore of what we do when we enter into a marriage, when we enter into conjugal union with someone, I, in, in not just an emotional union that can be divided by a divorce. Exactly, and the, and the two go hand in hand. And one reason why it's important for 
priests to live their celibacy and stay in the priesthood is that married life can be so difficult. Again, in our society, which looks at sex and emotion and and kind of superficial compatibility as something as the highest thing to be achieved, I mean, we, we have to see in the priest uh, the ideal that good as this is, it's not the highest good, and that marriage itself has a higher good than mere, you know, comfort or convenience or uh, compatibility. It's to bring into the world new members of the kingdom of heaven for eternity and to do so with a partner that can help you and be helped by you to sanctity. That's what marriage is. Mm-hmm. Now, you did allude to in the beginning of our discussion that in some cases, in some different sections of the church, there are married priests. Yeah, well, first of all, you got the Eastern churches, mm-hmm. both the Orthodox churches, not in union with Rome, and the so-called Uniate churches. And, and they do permit uh, marriage of a man, a married man who become a priest. If once you're a priest, you can't get married, and you can't be married and be a bishop. But, uh, you know, I hate to say this because the Eastern churches have so much that we have to learn from and appreciate, but it's all based on a mistake. It was back in 692, the Council in Trillo, uh, which is a local regional council, where the issue came up then, because there's always been an issue in the church, always a critical thing, you know, should priests be allowed to marry, or should married men be allowed to be priests? And someone at the council brought forth a letter from the monk Paphnutius, who was long deceased, but uh, highly regarded in the East, uh, and Paphnutius said, well, yes, this, this, is, this is a tradition, you can do it. Well, they found out 500 years later that letter was a forgery. Paphnutius never wrote that letter. So the whole discipline in the Eastern Church of permitting married men to become priests and exercise you know, the rights of marriage while priests uh, is based on a mistake. So I love the Orthodox Church, but I'm a Roman Catholic, and I believe the fullness of tradition has been handed down to us in the Roman Catholic Church. It also is something that, as we discussed a little bit earlier, too, is something that needs to be discerned if that person is being called to serve in this manner. Discernment, of course, your great heritage as a Jesuit, that is something that has always been an important aspect of not just praying, but actually going through the process of a discernment. That's correct. The spiritual exercises are based precisely for that, to help the person making those exercises to find the will of God for him. That's what discernment is. What is God's will for me? You know, we can say, and some people don't say much anymore, but it's still true, that the consecrated life and the priesthood are higher states of life than marriage. That does not mean priests and religious are more holy than married couples. Mm -hmm. But it means the state itself is higher. But what that really means, and this is kind of a paradoxical consequence, is that the really the the most deeply Catholic way of approaching marriage is for a man to say, I would love to be a priest and serve Christ as a priest, and it's a higher state, but because God is calling me to marriage, I sacrifice that which is higher for the objectively lower state. Why? Because for me, my call is to that state. And likewise, the woman should have the sense that she would love to be a consecrated virgin because that is the highest state mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in the church with the priesthood. Uh, but I, 
I sacrifice that because I'm called to be married to this man. Now that's, I say that's paradoxical and it's profound, and probably nobody ever has that. Well, no, nobody, but very few people would have that experience. But that is the way it should be experienced based on the Church's unchanging teaching on the states of life. But back to your question, yes, mm-hmm. we all have to discern what is God's will for me. And if people are listening here who are in that kind of discernment process, I recommend very strongly you make at least a weekend, if not a full week's retreat, uh, using the nation's spiritual exercise. They've been recognized by the Church uh, as, prime, as, as, a, as the best means for this kind of discernment. And actually Jesuits, in their discernment, have to make a 30-day exercises before they make their first vows. And they have to do it again before they make their final vows. So, yes, the, the spiritual exercises are a great gift to the Church for discerning God's will in our lives. Well, Father Fezio, through the course of your priesthood, you've seen the Church go through so much. It was some good transformation, but also some some areas that uh, we, we kind of failed in some ways. Well, what do you see now from your position, having turning around and looking back at time? Where where are we? Oh, Chris, I tell you what, I, I'm an old man. I'm happy I've lived this long because I grew up in a period which I think was a golden age for vocations, for families, large families, big parishes, lots of Catholic activity. Then I saw what happened after the council, not necessarily because of the council, but after the council, decline in numbers in the church, decline in vocations, decline in the priesthood, and so on. And then the scandals, the abuse, and then weak bishops, uh, many weak bishops. But I'm telling you, the last 10 years, uh, it's been getting better and better in the last five, better yet. And I see good seminarians, I see better seminaries, and I see fantastic bishops. Now, I shouldn't mention this, you know, Chris, because... I'm a San Franciscan. The mm-hmm. 49ers just lost the Super Bowl to the mm-hmm. Ravens. Two two good Catholic coaches from a good Catholic family, the Harbaugh brothers, mm-hmm. against each other in the Super Bowl. But there was a famous thing maybe 20, 30 years ago called the West Coast Offense. And that was under Bill Walsh, San Francisco 49er coach, and Joe Montana was the great implementer of this West Coast Offense, which would be kind of a short passing offense, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, now we have the, the pistol offense with uh, Kevin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, and so on. But uh, we just got a new archbishop in Portland, Archbishop Sample. So now we have Archbishop Sartain in Seattle, Archbishop Sample in Portland, Archbishop Corleone in San Francisco, Bishop Voss in Santa Rosa. We have Archbishop Gomez in Los Angeles and Bishop Flores in uh, San Diego. I'm telling you, we've got the Catholic West Coast office. Now, we have a lineup of incredible bishops. I should mention Bishop Van, also in Orange, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really, these are these are really exta- you know, exceptional priests, loyal to the Church, intelligent, uh, willing to stand up, courageous. I mean, Chris, I'm just overjoyed. I mean, I can sing my Nunc Dimittis now. Now, mm-hmm. Lord, let your servant go in peace. Because mm-hmm. I've seen the salvation of Israel coming. It's, it's glorious. Well, don't leave yet. Because we have uh, <laughs> well. the church in America still needs so much help. We're we're going to experience some suffering, aren't we? We are, but you know this has been a joy to Ignatius Press too, because as the church has grown, uh, you know, in its fidelity tradition, I mean, our sales have grown <laughs> proportionally, and we have. 
I mean, you rarely would meet a bishop or priest or seminarian who has not been nourished by Ignatius Press books. And I get it all mm-hmm. the time at conferences. I'll come up and say, Father, we thank you so much for those books. And I say, well, come and visit us and thank the staff. They're the ones who do all the work. Mm-hmm. It is phenomenal. What are you looking forward to for the future, at least in the short term, for Ignatius Press, Father Fezio? Oh, I'm looking forward to uh, just keep on doing the same thing and, and having good business appointments and good seminaries and seminarians. And there's a great project here on the West Coast now. Archbishop Corleone wants to start a Benedict XVI uh, Institute for Liturgy and Music mm. at the seminary. And uh, that, I mean, can you believe that the West Coast could be the center for spiritual, liturgical, musical renewal in the church in the U.S.? How is that for God's irony? Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like his mode of operation to do the unexpected. (laughs) Well, Father Fezio, we thank you so much for joining us to talk to us about married priests, 30 crucial questions about celibacy. Uh, Any final thoughts? Uh, Just buy the book. It's a great book. You should have it on your shelf. It's probably the best single book on this subject you could have. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you so much, Father Fezio. All right. God bless you, Chris. With Father Joseph Fezio, we've gone inside the pages of Married Priests, 30 Crucial Questions About Celibacy. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.